Hello, folks. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. We build technology across hardware and software and analytics that's designed to help you better understand your body. And certainly that's been an important thing this time of year with coronavirus. And many of you have been reaching out to us to understand how your Whoop data is being reflected in this crazy time, whether that's stress, whether that's more sleep or less sleep. Uh, And in particular, if there's anything that you might be able to tell in your Whoop data that relates to COVID-19. So is there anything about your Whoop data and how it's changing that could be predictive of whether or not you have COVID-19 or whether you're at risk for getting COVID-19? We've gotten a ton of messages about this. And of course, as promised, this is the topic of today's podcast with Emily Capitalupo, our brilliant VP of Data Science and Research. Now we're going to get to Emily in one second. The timeline to understand here is that the week of March 7th, we initially added the Whoop Journal into the Whoop app. The Whoop Journal, of course, allows you to select all sorts of different behaviors and see how they affect your body. We then, a few days later, so on March 13th, added the ability to tag COVID-19. So we became the first consumer app that allowed for COVID-19 tracking in the app. And the response that we saw was pretty amazing. We had hundreds of positive responses in the first 24 hours, and those have only since grown. We've had Whoop members reach out saying they wanted to volunteer their data to help us really understand what does Whoop data look like in the context of COVID-19. So this podcast, we're going to go into those findings. We're going to talk about a research partner just announced that we're going to be working closely with to publish these results. Uh, It's really exciting. It's really fascinating. We're learning uh, very quickly as much as we can about this horrible disease. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce Emily, who's going to tell us more about this. Emily, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Will. Emily, tell us about the partnership that we announced today with Cleveland Clinic and CQU. Yeah, so we've partnered with the Appleton Institute at Central Queensland University in Adelaide, Australia. We chose them as a partner because we've been working with them for the past year and a half uh, in order to understand uh, different aspects of sleep and in order to develop uh, a couple new features that will be coming out in the next uh, couple months and years. Uh, Because we had this pre-existing relationship, it was really easy for us to pivot into investigating uh, this COVID data Uh, And we were able to take advantage of the fact that they were already familiar with loop data, which allowed them to move really quickly on this analysis. Then we brought in our collaborators at the Cleveland Clinic in order to bring some more expertise around infectious disease and epidemiology uh, because our partners at CQU are primarily focused on on sort of sleep. So we wanted to specifically bring in a little bit more COVID-19 specific expertise. Frankly, the process for publishing research is normally quite long, quite slow, Emily, right? Talk about how, given the pandemic, everything seems to have sped up. Ordinarily, if you were sort of starting from scratch here, there's there's so much legal paperwork that sort of goes into all of this before you can do anything. So there's sort of legal paperwork around like the rights to share data about who owns the data and all this kind of stuff. You, You typically spend months 
before you ever collected a single data point, before you could ever do anything. We, we were able to skip that because we already had all these various agreements in place with our partners at CQU, but also in general, it just seems that, um, yeah, that people are just moving a lot faster, that uh, institutional review boards and ethics approval is sort of getting fast-tracked for anything COVID because there's just such a hunger for information. Like, you know, it, it's, it's remarkable how much we don't know about this disease. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, so what have you learned, Emily? Uh, I know this is what people are dying to hear. What have you learned about Whoop data before, during, and after COVID-19? Yeah, so I think like one of the most interesting things that we've seen is just sort of the role that respiratory rate is playing in all of this. So, you know, we've had respiratory rate available in our web app for over a year at this point. We've been tracking it for years. Um, and it's not really something that we've drawn a lot of attention to in the WHOOP world. But what we're seeing is that it's one of the most interesting uh, metrics responding to COVID-19. And that's because COVID-19 is a lower respiratory tract infection. So the actual like infected cells are the alveoli. And that's sort of the point of contact in your lungs between the blood and your lungs. And so if as those alveoli get damaged, uh, we start to see that gas exchange. So your ability to sort of get oxygen into the blood and get carbon dioxide out of the blood uh, becomes less and less efficient. And so in order to compensate for that loss in efficiency, you have to take more breaths. And so respiratory rate skyrockets like pretty early in the course of like a COVID-19 uh, disease progression. And so it's like the first sign that we see. And what's interesting is that it's a, you know, it, it's a little bit of a unique disease progression. Things like the common cold don't show up uh, first with pulmonary symptoms. So essentially what you're saying is if someone gets exposed to COVID-19, there's a chance that their respiratory rate may actually elevate before they even feel symptoms. Because I think in part what's so complicated about COVID-19 is this idea of you being contagious before you feel symptoms, correct? So in, in all viruses, it's kind of important to understand how these work. So the virus comes in and viruses can't reproduce on their own. So they enter your cell, which they call the host cell, and they hijack your cell's functionality and turn it into a virus-making machine, reproduce themselves in your cell, and then they get out of your cell by exploding the cell. So the cell bursts open, and now all the little new viruses are out and then go off to find new cells to infect. So let's say like you have one virus in you, like a little bit of an extreme example, right? It goes into a cell and it bursts that cell. Our bodies are great at like, having absolutely no response to a single missing cell. And so it actually takes a while until what they call like the viral load, so like how much virus is in your body to get up to a point that like enough cells have been birthed that the organ can't like just make up for the missing cells. So it's like if you have whatever, let's say 100 cells, like if you're missing one, then the other 99 can compensate. If you're missing two, the other 98 can compensate. But at some point, they can't compensate until organ function starts to suffer. And once organ function starts to suffer, that's sort of what we start to experience as symptoms. But by the time you have symptoms, that means that like some critical mass of these cells has been damaged. And eventually we replace them. But if there's enough virus, you're sort of damaging new ones faster than you're replacing them. So that's when you get like sicker and sicker. 
And so that period where you don't have a critical viral load, so you're not yet experiencing any decline in organ function, therefore no symptoms, called the incubation period. Now in a lot of diseases during the incubation period, you're not contagious. You can't give the disease to other people. One thing that makes the SARS-CoV-2, which is the name of the virus that causes COVID-19, particularly dangerous is that during that asymptomatic incubation period, that's when actually they think most of the transmission is occurring. And so people are making other people sick before they even know that they're sick themselves. So there's a lot of interest in being able to detect that people are sick before they have symptoms so that they can be quarantined because they're very much dangerous, even though they're not yet aware that they're sick. And so one of the problems that we're facing here in the U.S. is like a horrible lack of access to testing. There are tests available out there that like if somebody got tested before they were symptomatic, they could test positive, um, but it's very, very hard to get tested right now. And so the sort of general guidelines from the CDC and this whole idea around like social distancing is that we all need to assume that we have COVID-19 or we have this like SARS-CoV-2 virus in us, even if we're asymptomatic, because uh, some percentage of us do. And that percentage who has no idea who they are, are like very dangerous to sort of those, especially the high risk people around them. And so one thing that uh, WHOOP is very interested in looking into is like, what can we identify during that incubation period, which by the way, in some people is up to 14 days. So it's actually like pretty long. Uh, really long, really long. Yeah, so it's typically days. shorter than that. So some people are going from exposure to the onset of symptoms and closer to like three to six days, but it can be up to 14 days. Uh, and there's some reports that say maybe a little bit longer, but 14 days is like that recommended quarantine time after exposure because that's typically like if you're going to, if an exposure is going to turn into an active infection, it'll happen within those 14 days. So being able to identify somebody as early as possible, like as basically as close to that period of infection as possible would sort of minimize the likelihood that somebody thinking that, oh, there's no way I'm contagious kind of goes out into the world and infects other people. So let me see if I've got this straight, right? So in most moderate to severe cases, right, COVID-19 is presenting a lower respiratory tract infection, which is similar to bronchitis, um, some strains of the flu right? Mm-hmm. And since the flu and allergies primarily impact tissues of the upper respiratory tract, elevated respiratory rate is a less common symptom of things like the flu or normal sickness, but elevated respiratory rate could be the smoking gun for identifying COVID-19. Yeah, it's something that we're interested in understanding. So typically when you get a cold, so when you think of like upper respiratory tract infections, everything uh, above the larynx. And so it's you're going to have symptoms that are going to be above the collar. So that's like the runny nose, the sore throat, the headache, like all those kinds of things. Sometimes like while your immune system is suppressed, especially in like older people, like when older people die of the flu, it's actually because like while their immune system suppressed with the flu, they get like a secondary infection, which turns into pneumonia. But when that happens, they've like had the flu for a few days and it's like, it gets worse and worse. Whereas like, because lower respiratory tract infections are literally in your lower respiratory tract, so in your lungs, um, you see the respiratory symptoms at the onset of the disease progression. So you're going to see it much earlier. One of the things that's sort of worth mentioning is that in the U.S. it's still flu season. 
Uh, so before all of the COVID pandemic, you know, most people who are getting sick with coughing, fatigue, all these different symptoms, the like obvious culprit was the flu. And the flu didn't go away just because COVID got added to all of this. And so, you know, sort of being able to have some metrics that potentially differentiates between these things is really interesting. And I think it's worth mentioning too that like whoop, we're not a medical device. Our goal is not to diagnose you know, any disease or, or condition, especially not COVID-19 or the flu. But sort of what is interesting is if you have a baseline, so you've been on WHOOP for, you know, a few days prior to getting exposed, and then now you know that your respiratory rate is elevated, that's information that you can give to your doctor. And it's just another data point that's going to help them make like the right call. And especially in a world where like, a lot of primary care doctors are trying to go to like telemedicine. They're trying to avoid office visits whenever possible. And we don't want somebody who has the flu to go to the hospital and potentially get exposed to COVID-19. And now all of a sudden they have both, right? And so it's just like another data point that's potentially valuable. And one of the things that we've seen in our data that I think is just sort of an interesting thing to point out is that like with, with people who are, so the typical resting respiratory rate is between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. So that's like the time it takes to inhale and then exhale would be one breath. And we do that, you know, roughly every five seconds or so. And so if somebody who's athletic has a resting respiratory rate of, say, 14 breaths per minute, and then it goes up to 17 breaths per minute, percentage wise, um, that's actually a really meaningful increase. But they're still kind of right in the middle of that normal range. So if you just had a single point reading of like 17 uh, respirations per minute or breaths per minute that wouldn't necessarily raise any particularly interesting flags. But if you pair that with the context of like, oh, but my baseline is 14, all of a sudden that's just another interesting data point that can kind of add to this conversation. And one of the things that we've noticed about respiratory rate that I think is sort of particularly relevant here is that in, in healthy individuals, respiratory rate varies very little from day to day. Like most users, they're going to vary like less than one breath per minute over like, you know, months. And so when it goes up from like 14 to 17, that's statistically extremely significant. Now, what have we seen for respiratory rate changes within specific WHOOP members? I know we've got a couple folks uh, that we were allowed to talk about. This one WHOOP member, he actually posted on Reddit uh, and we found his Reddit post and then ended up contacting him and he did give us permission to share his story here today. He got exposed on March 7th and then felt totally fine. Woke up Tuesday morning, March 10th. He goes to do his typical morning workout and fails the workout. Uh, and this is actually a sort of interesting early warning sign about an infection because exercise intolerance is pr like a pretty typical before you have symptoms at rest. When we exercise, we try to access our full lung capacity. For a healthy individual at rest, you're not even trying to use your full lung capacity. And so you don't necessarily notice that like there's sort of less at the margin. But when you go to work out, because you're trying to use all of it, you sort of notice that there's some of it's not there. So he goes to work out, he fails the workout, can't complete it, uh, goes to work, ends up like coming home early because, you know, he's exhausted goes to bed and that night spikes 103 degree fever and within a few days got tested, tested positive. What we saw in this user's case was that in the 10 days prior to exposure, his respiratory rate, it ranged from like 15.4 to 16.1. So that's actually like a really, really tight range. 
And then that night that he got sick and spiked that fever, it jumps up to 18.1 and it goes to 18.5 the following day. And so like that, when huge, you go from yeah. like, yeah, huge, huge is 17% increase. Uh, we typically see like one, two percent night overnight, and that's meaningless. Seventeen percent is extremely significant, and so uh, we saw this. And he was, as far as we know, one of the very first Woot members to get COVID nineteen, and and also to be tested. So one thing that's a little bit tricky in some of this research is because testing is so unavailable right now. There's a lot of noise in the data. Uh, where it's like there's a lot of people who think they have COVID nineteen, but you know, do they actually have the flu? Is this actually something, you know, a cold, is it actually the air is dry and your throat's tickling and turns out to be nothing. Um, I think there's sort of a lot of noise out there. And so, you know, this really early on, we saw this extremely significant respiratory rate response. And so that kind of turned us on to this idea that respiratory rate might actually be a really useful metric to be tracking during this pandemic. And one thing also um, that, you know, I think WHOOP is particularly excited about and proud about is just earlier this year, uh, WHOOP became the first wearable to have their respiratory rate validated by a third party. Uh, we're actually still the only wearable who's had their respiratory rate uh, validated by a third party. And we're very, very good at it. So we're within one breath of truth during sleep. And so it's something that we can put a lot of stake in because we know that uh, when we say this is your respiratory rate, uh, you know, we have this uh, very rigorous validation, which, you know, we'll link in the show notes for this uh, podcast, showing that like, whoop, it, it, when we say your respiratory rate was 15, and now it's 18, like you can actually trust that that change occurred. Such a good point. Now, what else did we see in this individual's data? And maybe we've been seeing in general, uh, resting heart rate? Yeah, so his resting heart rate went up a lot, too. You know, I think we could just as easily talk about the interest in tracking resting heart rate during this time. I think the reason why we're so focused on respiratory rate is because resting heart rate is a little bit more of a um, non-specific symptom. So resting heart rate going up, yeah, that does mean that something's up, but there's tons and tons of things that could cause your resting heart rate to go up, right? If your resting heart rate will go up if you had a really tough workout, it'll go up if you went to bed drunk, it'll go up if you're sick with pretty much anything. Uh, and so because it's a non-specific indicator, while we definitely expect resting heart rate to go up, we saw it with this one user's data, we've seen it with our other confirmed cases of COVID-19. What I really don't want people to do is to listen to this podcast, see their resting heart rate go up a little bit and then freak out, right? Because there's so many things that could cause it that like to sort of turn to, oh, it I must have COVID-19. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So while we definitely expect it to go up, we've seen it go up. And we're, we're definitely looking to better understand the sort of response to resting heart rate. Uh, similarly, we're seeing heart rate variability go down quite a bit. Resting heart rate and heart rate variability, because they're so responsive to so many other things, even when respiratory rate stays constant, they're less of what we're focusing on right now. So if I summarize this properly... Having an elevated resting heart rate and a lower heart rate variability seems to be consistent with people who have tested positive for COVID-19. However, it's nonspecific in the sense that those two things could also mean you overtrained or could also mean that you have a common cold or could also mean that you're hungover, right? So it doesn't necessarily, if those are the only two things that you saw in your data, your immediate reaction should not be, I have COVID-19. It's just a yeah. sign that something's going on in your body. 
And I will add that, it, you know, if you saw that your, um, that your respiratory rate increases, that's also not a super specific symptom in that I wouldn't jump to COVID-19 there either. It's just that fewer things elevate your resting respiratory rate than rest, elevate your resting heart rate and uh, lower your heart rate variability. So it's like slightly more specific, but still definitely non-specific. Like if you have TB, if you have bronchitis, you're going to see that elevated respiratory rate. If you have asthma, if, you know, allergies, all of those things sometimes can, uh, depending on how they're presenting. Uh, and then also like, um, if you're, if you go to altitude, so I know a lot of people are like fleeing the cities to get out of more densely populated areas. So if you flee, went to altitude, you'd expect to see your uh, resting respiratory rate go up just because the air is thinner. So there are other causes of an increased respiratory rate. We're definitely not claiming that that's a COVID specific thing. It's just slightly more specific than resting heart rate and HRV changes would be. The other thing that you identified here that I thought was interesting is this idea that exercise is harder than usual. And that that might happen before you're consciously aware of other symptoms. And would you frame that as more specific? Is that more in the camp of respiratory rate in terms of being more specific towards COVID-19? Or is that more in the camp of increased resting heart rate, decreased heart rate variability, which is more in the camp of something's up with your body, but not specifically COVID-19? It's consistent with the earlier stages of a lower respiratory tract infection. Because what's happening during incubation is that you're slowly losing organ function. And at rest, it's much easier to compensate for those damaged cells that, you know, the virus has infected and burst than it is when you're sort of trying to exercise and therefore access your full capacity. So healthy people at rest are not using like all of their lungs ability. And so you might not notice that you've lost that little bit at the top. But when you go to exercise, you will notice that. So before you're sort of like fatigued and that your lungs are like having any kind of symptoms at rest, you'll see these symptoms during exercise. But again, I'd expect to see the same thing with bronchitis, the same thing with tuberculosis, the same thing with like any number of lower respiratory tract infections, you know, other pneumonia type diseases. You know, none of this is to replace proper COVID-19 testing. But like, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see exercise intolerance in the same way you know, with, with other infections like before you had symptoms. So fascinating. So exercise intolerance and increased respiratory rate are more consistent with a lower respiratory infection, uh, which is obviously specific to COVID-19, versus increased resting heart rate, decreased heart rate variability, which are a more general sign of things that your body may be run down or may be sick for other reasons. So I think for people listening who are on WHOOP, those are some things to keep in mind as you look at your data. I think Emily made some very good points there. Again, WHOOP is not a medical device. We're not intending to diagnose COVID-19 or any other disease. Uh, and you should talk to your doctors. This is just what we've been seeing in the data. And we do have a fairly large data set to look at. If WHOOP members listening to this uh, are wondering, well, how can I look at my respiratory rate? Good news. In the next 24 hours, respiratory rate will now be in the WHOOP app. So you can go into your sleep on a nightly basis and you'll be able to see respiratory rate as one of the breakdowns in your sleep analysis. And that is, of course, when we capture respiratory rate. Correct, Emily? 
Yeah, so it's what we report is the median across the entire sleep. But for those people who don't want to wait 24 hours, it's actually been available in the web app for over a year now. So if you go to app.whoop.com and log in and then go over to the sleep page, you can not only see your respiratory rate uh, from last night, but you can look at trends uh, over the last you know year plus for, for those of you who've been on Whoop that long. Now, for WHOOP members listening to this, you'll, you'll of course, be able to see COVID-19 tracking in the WHOOP journal. If you do have COVID-19, we ask that you toggle that on, and there's a whole symptom tracker now to go with it. So we're building a big de-identified data set on this. We're going to report back to our WHOOP members, uh, hopefully to society at large, to collect as much data as possible around this fucking disease and uh and as a result be able to provide feedback to all of you uh on how to stay safe and stay healthy out there so keep an eye out for that that's in the whoop journal uh we're constantly making updates to make this data as robust and as accurate as possible any whoop members or anyone listening to this who has questions about our study or our analysis or in general uh you can always email membership services which is support at whoop.com and they will answer questions about your data. That is part of the service that we provide for all WHOOP members. You can also uh, find us at the locker at whoop.com, uh, which is where you can email us questions specific to this podcast. Our handles at whoop. Uh, you can find me at Will Ahmed. Uh, we will also be answering all of your questions. This is something that's super important to us here at Whoop. And uh, we're doing our very best to help understand it. Emily, thank you so much uh, for coming on as always. And uh, you're going to be back shortly to tell us more about what we're learning here. Thanks for having me, Will. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Emily does a phenomenal job, I think, explaining some of these complicated concepts. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I'm going to answer some whoop questions here shortly. But before I do, I want to remind all of our listeners that you can get 15% off a whoop membership by using the code WILLAHMED. That's W I L L A H M E D at checkout. And that will get you 15% off a whoop membership. Uh, Marcia Williams asks I am curious about different competitors versus whoop my tool is telling me that training is unproductive while whoop tells me i'm doing a good job matching training with recovery so and so also gives me vastly different sleep statistics along with a lower resting heart rate would be nice to understand how whoop is different from competitors i'm uh sort of paraphrasing marcia's question here and i'm intentionally not including the the product that she's comparing us to i think i'll just say this broadly speaking uh, whenever you're looking at wearable technology, make sure that the technology has third-party validation. We've published our third-party validation. It shows that we are exceptionally accurate in measuring sleep, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, now respiratory rate, which we just spent a lot of time talking about. So if you compare Whoop to a product that does not have third-party validation, that is probably why you're seeing a difference. Accuracy is really important to us. It's why uh, we don't you know, do a ton of other things. We don't, we're not a smartwatch. We don't do phone calls. We don't allow you to call an Uber. Uh, but what we do do really well is we collect data and we collect data really accurately. Uh, we collect about 50 to 100 megabytes of data on a person per day, which is by far the most data of any product on 
the market. So that's a little bit of whoop versus competitors. Marsha, thank you for the question. Okay. Kathy asks, or recommends, I should say, perhaps you could do a podcast on how various types of exercise affect sleep, things that could offset the higher cortisol level and things that could worsen it. Love my whoop data. Thank you, Kathy. All right. Well, thank you, Kathy. Uh, We will definitely look into that. And Julian asks, uh, I have set up a team today for over 50s athletes. I'm writing because I think doing a podcast and in fact, some positioning for older athletes would be great. There's a lot of conversation around aging and aging well, and the role of exercise is particularly well-known in helping this. Great feedback, Julian. We also have seen a growing uh, interest in WHOOP for the over 50 population, and we will do a podcast on aging. No problem. All right, folks. Well, that's it for today. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed today's podcast. Stay healthy and stay in the green. My best to you and your family during these crazy times.